Well, it's great to be with you. This is the last message in the series of After the Rose. Don't forget the vows. If you've been with us for the last month, um, we've been in this series. And uh, I know that I, I just want to say a few words before I begin preaching that anytime you talk about marriage and relationships and love, um, it, it, can be, um, it can be refreshing for some and very painful for others. And I want you to know that uh, my heart is with all of you, no matter where you are. And um, for some of you, this has been probably a very difficult series to, to sit through. For some of you, maybe it's been a refreshing series, a reminder, um, whatever it might be. I've invited all of our students to join us this morning for this final message. Um, they usually leave right before I preach, and I'm always offended by that, I want you to know. It's just something that I go, what, what's up with this? You know, but I get it. I totally get it. I was once young. But today, on today's message, I've asked Pastor Kyle if he would ask the, the youth to uh, stay with us today. Um, it's, a, it's a message that I think applies to both um, young and old. Um, single and married, okay? It, it really does. It, it really applies to both. Although I'm coming at it from the standpoint of a married couple, I think it, it's something that applies to all of us today. So just so that we can maybe have a little participation in the room, if you are single, that means you are not married, would you raise your hand? Come on, raise them up. Raise them up, hold them up. All right, now look around. Look around at all the singles. Some of you are on the hunt, so I want you to know who's single in the house. Okay, very good, very good. All right. Now, if you are married, would you mind raising your hands? If you're married here today, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. I'm married, by the way. Yep, that's right. All right, good, good. Okay, good. All right, that's great. You're warmed up now. All right, if you are married and you intend to have an adulterous affair, would you please raise your hand? Wow, nobody? Wow, okay, all right, all right. If you are, if you are single and you, are, um, you have never been married, but you plan someday, hopefully if the Lord willing, to get married and have an affair on your spouse in the future, would you please raise your hand? Wow, all right, all right, okay, good, 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 good. Let me ask you one more question. If you are single or married, do you intend to become a porn addict? Raise your hand. You intend to become addicted to pornography. Now, I'm a little shocked by that because statistics tell us that well over 50% of the population is already addicted to pornography. So that's kind of shocking, right? That's the reality of it. You see, none of us ever get into life ever intending to do something with, that we know that would be detrimental to our relationships, to our own personal well-being. None of us go into that. I mean, I've never married a couple who stood before me and said, I do to one another, who then said as they were walking down the aisle, ha, that was fun. Let's go out and have a good time with other people now. It's never happened. Maybe it's happened in Las Vegas, but it hasn't happened in the places that I have conducted a wedding. 
So today we are going to talk about the vow of purity. We're going to talk about purity. And we're going to talk about purity not only from the standpoint of sexual purity, but whole life purity. Because purity is much more than just our bodies or just our sexuality, although that is a very large, significant portion of that. So out of respect to God's word, would you mind standing with me and let's go to Genesis chapter 2 this morning. And let's read together the last two verses of Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse number 24 and 25. Now, my, 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 this says get. It should say gen, okay? I, I found that after I printed those notes for you this morning. Um, that's part of the, you know, all month long it's been that way. I just caught it, all right? It's been that way all month long. I was like, oh, look at that. It's, uh, it's get 2.24. It's supposed to be Genesis 2. But the scripture says this. If you'd like to read it from your Bible or from the screen, would you read it with me on the count of three? One, two, three. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, the scripture goes on. Just remain standing. We're going to read a little section of chapter 3 in a moment. The scripture goes on that there was a serpent who came along who then deceived Eve and Adam. They took of the fruit and sin came into the world. And as a result of that, the scripture says in verse number 8 of chapter 3, it says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Father, speak to us, I pray, about purity in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been looking at this verse now for four weeks, and I'll remind you of where we've been. We've been looking at vows that when a husband and a wife come before God, their family and their friends, they make, they make vows to one another that really alter the rest of their lives, radically changes all other relationships, it really changes the way, their direction. They go from being single to being married. They go from living with their mom and dad if they're younger, and they leave their primary or their, or their, their biological family or their family of origin or their family of adoption or whatever, and they leave their father and mother, and they are united to their wife. In other words, they cling, they, they pursue, they become one. And we've been talking about this, these, this verse because it is the foundation of human relationships, Someday, some of you young people that are in the room will stand before your family and friends, God willing, with a, with a man or a woman who can stand there and you will, you will make vows to them and it will radically change your life. You will leave one home and you will start a new home, a start a new family. And the scripture says that the man and his wife in this original setting, before sin came into the world, the man and his wife were both naked. 
They were both naked and they felt no shame. We're going to talk about this last, this last part of the verse today, that they were naked and felt no shame. There was complete intimacy, oneness, and connection, and nothing was hidden. Nothing, literally nothing, as if they were physically naked, but they were also emotionally, mentally, and physically naked before one another and before God. And there was nothing to hide. Um, the word shame, by the way, comes from the root Hebrew word boost. That's how you say it, boost. And it means to be ashamed or it means to feel completely worthless. There was no shame. In other words, there was nothing to hide from and nothing to run from. It was complete openness. So often I, when I do premarital counseling with couples, um, I, I discover that, that even though the couples are getting, planning to get married and planning to come together, there's probably something in their lives that they have yet to reveal to the person that they're going to get married to. Something they have not discovered. Sometimes that's unintentional, which is, makes sense. Sometimes it's intentional. And when something is, is held back, hidden from the person you're marrying, and all of a sudden it be, you become aware of it later on, and you find out that that person has kept it from you, it causes a lack of trust and a breaking of the bond between two people that happens when you get married. But Adam and Eve were without shame. They were completely naked. They had complete oneness. And remember marriage. What is marriage? Marriage is the uniting of two souls. It's two people into one. It's the priority that comes together. And so we've looked at the vow that you, that you make, and we talked about uh, three different vows already. The vow of priority means I promise to love God first and my spouse second. Amen. God's number one. Your spouse is number two. But outside of God, your spouse becomes your number one. His number one or your number two, however you want to look at that. The vow of pursuit meant that I promise to always pursue my spouse. That pursuit doesn't end at the altar of marriage. That you continue to pursue each other. You continue to woo each other. You continue to love each other. You continue to, to, to date one another. You continue to do things to keep the fire burning within the relationship. And I've told you, I, 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 I honestly can say to you, standing here on this stage today, 34 years of marriage, I love my wife more today than I did the day I married her. I'm more in love with her now than ever. It's different than it was when I get married, but it's better. It's not saying that that was wrong and this is right. It means it grows and it grows. And your marriage relationship should be one that grows and grows and grows. You should grow old together in love. Can I get an amen to that? Really, old love I think is better than young love. Now I love young love. It's exciting. It's new. It's fresh. But there's something great about two people who really, really know each other, have walked through the ups and downs of life, and have remained committed to each other, have a priority for each other, and continue to pursue each other. 
The vow of the third vow was the vow of partnership that we looked at last week. This is the idea that I promise our marriage will be about we and not about me. That our marriage will be about we and not about me. That we will not allow one person to dominate the other person. To, to, to push their will on, on all things. That there will be mutual submission, first of all, to God, and second of all, to one another. And that they will treat each other as co-equals. It doesn't mean that there isn't leadership in the marriage. It doesn't mean the man can't lead. It means the man leads as a servant leader, caring for his spouse, loving his spouse, and thinking about what's best for the spouse together as a couple. It's about we and not about me. Today, we are looking at the priority of purity. And this is, I promise to confide and not to hide. I promise to confide and not to hide. Amen? I promise to confide and not to hide. Now, let's go back to the original couple. The original couple were in the garden. It's a beautiful place. They are running around with no clothes on. There is complete openness to each other. They have complete communication, intimacy, connection. They're not ashamed of each other. There's no, there's no sense of trying to hide from one another. God is there and he's present. God knows everything. They know everything. It's a beautiful thing. There is no shame whatsoever and then they do the unthinkable what they God told them not to do and sin enters the world and as a result of sin the woman is cursed the man is cursed human beings are cursed we experience death we are cast out of Eden cast out of the perfect place and we experience sickness, we experience trouble, we experience pain, we experience um, selfishness, all of the things that humans experience, that you experience, Adam and Eve began to experience. But one of the very first things that happen after they violate God's laws, notice this, scripture says this, the number one enemy of this vow of, of purity is secrecy. Secrecy. When you keep a secret, you are violating the vow of being pure between God and your, and your spouse. When you are hiding something, the scripture says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, they started grabbing plants and they started hiding their, their, their personal items. They started to hide from each other. And the scripture says all of a sudden they were aware of their nakedness because they were feeling shame in their life. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? What's going on? What did you do? And Adam responds and he says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was so, well, I was naked, so I hid. And my friends, 
This is the plight of human beings. When you sin against Almighty God, your first instinct is to run and hide. Your first instinct is to not let anybody know. If you know you've done something that your parents told you not to do, the first thing you do is going to try to keep it from your parents. If you do something that you know your teacher didn't want you to do, the first thing you're going to do is try to keep it from your teacher. Hiding is a result of trying to cover up our sin. To walk in darkness instead of in the light. There have been times over the last 34 years, I can honestly say there have been times that I've hid things from Jane. And as a result, it broke intimacy and oneness between us. It hurt our relationship and it caused me to want to withdraw from her because I didn't want her to find out what was going on in my life. That's probably happened in your life where you hide from one another. It's the result of disobeying and doing what you never thought you would do in the first place. Anybody know this guy? It's a sad, sad case. If you haven't seen it on the news, Alex Murdoch is on trial right now for homicide to killing his, his own son and his own wife. And if you've heard any, any little bit of the trial, for the last two days on Thursday and Friday, he was on the stand testifying in his own defense. And all he did on the stand for about two days was admit how many people he had lied to. He lied and lied and lied and lied and lied and lied and lied. He stole money from people. He was a lawyer and he stole money from people, stole money from his own clients, stole money from his own family. He lied to, to his own children. He tried to cover up his addiction to painkillers. He tried to cover up his own misdeeds and his own choices along the way. And everything came unraveled. When he was found out, as he sits on the stand trying to say that he didn't kill his son and his wife, he is admitted to lying about everything else. And it's hard to believe that he's not lying on the stand now. Why do we lie? Why do we lie? We lie because we are covering up our guilt and shame. We do not want to be exposed. We want to hide from one another and hide from Almighty God. Believing that if we can get away with it, that no one will know what we've really done. It violates the law or the vow of purity. Intimacy is destroyed in darkness. Look what Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. 
And when you live in the light, he says, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. The scripture tells us that when we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we've got nothing to hide. We live with a clean conscience. We live with the ability to connect with other human beings. We live with the ability to connect with our spouse. We live with the ability to connect with our colleagues. We live with the connection with our children. We can live with absolute openness to the world to say, I am who I am and I have a clear conscience between God and myself and I have a clear conscience between me in the world. And could I tell you, there's no better way to live than live with a clean conscience. The worst way to live is to live in darkness. Alan or Jonathan, would you do me a favor up there? Would you turn all of these lights on as high as possible? See what the light does? It helps you to see. You can really see the person next to you now. The person on the other side of the worship center. But when you walk in darkness, here's what it feels like. Turn all the lights off. Now you can't see. But here's what happens when you walk in the darkness for long your eyes begin to adjust. And soon, when you live in darkness for so long, you are not even aware that you're in the darkness. You lie to yourself. You lie to other people. You lie to God. And soon you believe your own lies. You're living in secrecy. And you have a double life going on. And all of a sudden, the light comes back on. The light comes back on. (laughs) And you can see all over again. Paul said, you were once in darkness, but when you came to Christ, when you allowed yourself to walk into the light, when you saw the light of God, God is light. He is holy. He is pure. He is without sin. There is no darkness in God. And when God fills you with his love and his grace in your life, and you begin to walk in this new way of living, he says, listen, don't go back to the deeds of darkness. Don't go back to the ways of evil. Don't go back to living with with, with trying to Cover up and hide yourself anymore. Come expose yourself as you confess your sins and are filled with his righteousness. Intimacy is destroyed in darkness. You cannot be one with your spouse if you're hiding something from them. I told you this story years ago, not years ago, probably a couple years ago. There was a gentleman in my church came to me one Saturday morning, and he was so under conviction. He sat down. He says, I got to see you, Pastor. I got to see you. He sat in my office, and he said, I've been having multiple affairs with multiple women for years. And the Lord will not let me sleep at night anymore. 
I am under, I, I, can't, I can't sleep, I can't eat. I don't know what to do. I prayed with him, asked the Lord to forgive him of all of his sins. And then he said to me, what do I do now? I said, go home and tell your wife. He said, she'll kick me out. I said, I know she will, but go home and tell her anyways. Where do I go? I said, I got a bedroom down in my basement. You can come sleep with my house. He said, but my, my marriage will be over. It might be. But you will stop living in the darkness and start living in the light. By God's grace, she eventually forgived him. She did kick him out. She was angry. But she forgave. They went through counseling. And today, they're still together, praise God. If your spouse has a confession before you, Here's my advice to you. Receive it, hear it, but then forgive. Amen? Why? Because Christ has forgiven you of all your sins. Now, I'm not saying you have to trust him. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is given. Do you catch the difference? Scripture tells us in Ephesians 5, 3, but among you there must not even be, now catch this, a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. God says to us that there shouldn't even be a hint and a lot of times what we do is we, we get, we get, we relax our standards. We relax what we know is right and wrong. We compromise what we know is right and wrong. And we begin to allow even the hint of sexual immorality into our lives. And what is, what, um, what at first was unacceptable becomes acceptable a little bit. And then a little bit more acceptable and a little bit more acceptable and a little bit. Just like I, I asked you all, I said, is there anybody here? Is, in, is, is already decided in their mind they're going to go out and have an adulterous affair with somebody. And everybody in this room said no. But how is it that well over 50% of marriages face an adulterous relationship? Because they compromised little by little by little. Why Paul says, don't even let there be a hint of it. Not even a hint. Set the line in the right place. In other words, when you set the line to say what is acceptable and not, I believe you need to set it the way Jesus would set the line. You know where Jesus would set the line? Let me tell you where Jesus set the line. By the way, this is the verse that, that Pastor Kyle gave to me to speak to the middle schoolers a few weeks ago in middle school chapel. Any of the middle schoolers were in that chapel? There's a few of you. Remember this? You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? They definitely remember. We talked, we had the sex talk in middle school chapel. It was more uncomfortable for me than it was for them, but they, I didn't let them know that. 
You have heard that it is said, do not commit adultery. We all agree here adultery is wrong, right? What is adultery? It's when you have a sexual relationship or an emotional relationship with somebody who is not your spouse. When somebody becomes intimate with you, that is not the person that you made a vow to. He says, do not commit adultery. He said, that's the line when you physically do it. He said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, you can have the hint of sexual immorality even if you don't actually do it. Jesus said the line is here and here. Not here. So now my sons, this is Solomon speaking to his son about the lure of sexual immorality. He says, now my son, listen to me and never stray from what I say about to say. Stay away from her. Stay away from the adulterous woman. Stay away from the adulterous man. Stay away from the person that is going to tempt you to do the wrong thing. Don't go near the door of that house. Don't even play with it. Don't make the phone call. Don't text. Don't send the pictures. Don't even mess around at all with a hint of sexual immorality because if you start playing with it, it will get you. And you'll find yourself doing something that is shameful and that causes you to live in secret and lie to the very people that you're in covenant relationship with. So, no secrets. You should not be alone with anyone if you are married of, of the opposite sex than the person that you are married to. There should not be any hidden phone calls, texts, emails, conversations going on with old girlfriends or old boyfriends or coworkers that are inappropriate. There should be nothing like that that you would want, not want your spouse to see and hear and talk to them about. Because if you're hiding it, you already know it's wrong. You already know it. You're doing what Adam and Eve did when they covered up, hid from God. You need to put safeguards on your computer and your phone. Folks, when I was a kid, it was the magazine that I hid under the mattress. Now it's the device that we carry around in our pockets 24-7. It's our computers. Parents, please put safeguards on all of your adolescents' phones and computers. 
do not assume that they are so strong and mighty that they'll never be tempted to do the wrong thing. They are human. Your job as parents is to protect them, talk with them, train them. And guys in the room, you should have safeguards on your computers, your gadgets, and give access to all places in your life to your spouse. There should be nothing off limits to your spouse to see. If you have places that you can hide, you will be tempted to hide. It's natural because we are sinful human beings. Give her all the passwords. Give him all the passwords. And when they say, let me look at your phone, don't go, ah, no, 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 you can't. And then turn it into a fight because they don't trust you. You're an open book. Amen? I've had couples that have gone through adulterous relationships, and I've said to the adulterer, I've said, you must cut off 100% all communication with the person you've been having an affair with. And they have resisted it initially because they feel obligated to the one that they have been sinning with more than they are to the one that they had a covenant relationship with. And they wonder why she wouldn't trust her. So how can you live a pure life? Could I just tell you? You can't do it alone. You cannot do it by yourself. Why? We are fallen human beings who seek to hide and cover up and run and live in secret because we are sinners. But Jesus Christ came to this world to set you free from sin, to expose the darkness and help you to live in the light <laughs> and walk a holy, pure life. And so I would encourage you in two areas. Number one, the scripture says, how can a, I love how it says a young man. All you young guys over here. The scripture says in, in Psalm 119 verse 9, how can a young man keep his ways pure? Now I've added the word woman because I think it's implied there. How can a young man or a young woman keep his ways pure by living according to the word. I seek you with all my heart and do let not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's holy word is given to you as a light for your path. It's given to you as instruction, encouragement, and strength. And when you read it, when you study it, when you memorize it, when you walk in it, it will give you strength to fight the temptations that are going to come your way. How can a man or woman live in the Lord? You must follow the word of God. But you cannot just follow the word of God in your own strength. It's not like 
you know, just like this word and my will work together. Your will needs to be surrendered to the Lord and you need to have the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit in your life to work with the word of God. And so I'll give you two, two encouragements here. Number one, you need to be what we call sanctified. That's a big word. What does sanctified means? It means that you must surrender your life completely and be set aside completely to God. To be sanctified. I could say that this remote that I use to, slide, to, to move the slides back and forth is completely 100% sanctified to be used on this television. I stick it back here on the, on the little, um, what do they call it? Velcro. It's been sanctified. It is, it is 100% used just for this purpose. And if I get up here on Sunday morning and I don't have my remote, I'm going to say, who took my remote? Because this has been set aside for this purpose. God wants you to set aside your life for his purposes. Here's what the Bible says. Finally, brothers and sisters, we instruct you on how to live in order to please God. Amen? That's pretty straightforward, wouldn't you say? As in fact you are living, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So speaking to the church in, Phil, in, in, um, in Thessalonica, he says, listen, I know you're Christians. I know you love Jesus and I know you, you really want to walk with the Lord. But I'm going to ask you to do this not only a little bit, but I'm going to ask you to do it all in. More and more. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You want to know what the Lord's will is for your life? The Lord's will for your life is not for you just to get saved, just to become a Christian and to have your sins forgiven. The Lord's will is for you to set, to, to allow him to have complete and 100% control of your life. And that means... Your bodies, your sexuality, your minds, your desires, your recreation, your time, your money, everything is God's. And nothing is held back. It is the Lord's will for you to be sanctified. Adam and Eve in the garden originally were two people without sin. They were completely connected to God and each other. They were sanctified originally. But they violated God's laws. And then he says, he goes on to say in, 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 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it is God's will for you, young people, our, uh, all of our teenagers here today, for our, for our young adults, for our singles people, for those of you who've never been married, to remain pure sexually until the day you say I do to your spouse and you enter into a covenantal relationship where two people consummate it through sexual intercourse. 
Sexual intercourse is reserved for those who get married. And he can help you as, you, as he sanctifies you through and through. You say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do it your way, oh God. I'm not going to do it my way. I had sex before I got married. But could I tell you, every time I had sex before I got married, I left that encounter feeling dirty. I left that encounter feeling ashamed. I left that encounter feeling guilty. It did not draw me and my girlfriend together. It actually drove us apart. Because both of us were Christians. And both of us were doing the wrong thing. And both of us were ashamed of what we did. But could I tell you, I never feel ashamed when I have sex with my wife now. It is open, beautiful, intimate, and it draws us together with oneness. But good sex is not just about physical intimacy. It's about spiritual, mental, and emotional intimacy all together as one. How can you live pure? Pursue sexual purity. Paul goes on to say this, and I'm going to end here. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. We've already read that before, right? Now look at the clarification he says here. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality would be anything that violates God's laws as it pertains to sexual relationships between two people. It is the will of God that only people who are married, man and woman, enter into sexual relationships with each other. That each of you should learn to control his or her body in a way that is what? That is what? Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. And when something is holy and honorable, it is not, you don't hide from it. You don't live in secrecy about it. It's beautiful. If two people have to rendezvous someplace in a hotel somewhere where nobody knows and you think you're getting away with to get your jollies off, I said it, Kyle. <laughs> you already know you're in the wrong. Come out into the hole to the light. <clears throat> so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to sing a song in a moment. I'm going to ask you either to do one or two things. Number one, I'm going to ask you to make a vow of purity before Almighty God today. I want you to ask the Lord to sanctify you, to fully surrender to him and let the Holy Spirit work in your life that you could have a desires that are bent on the Lord instead of bent on yourself. Number two, if you're married here today and you are living a double secret life, 
it's time to confess. God already knows. You ain't fooling him. Come out into the light and ask him to forgive you and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And second, go home and have a conversation with your spouse. Maybe the reason you are no longer on the same page is because you're hiding from each other. Confess your sins to one another. I guarantee you, God will move in your heart and your lives in such a way that you will once again have the kind of love and intimacy you so desired in the beginning. It may be painful. It may be difficult. And you may even need a third party to help you. But as you heard this morning, if God can get into a grave and get out of it, nothing is impossible with the Lord. He can resurrect a dead marriage. If you're single, make a vow. I want to remain pure to God until the day I'm married. If you're married, reaffirm your vow that you already made that your spouse would be uno number one other than God. Exclusive, permanent relationship. And that the only person you are naked with is them. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about everything. Nothing to hide. No secrets. Let's pray. Stand with me, would you? God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for reminding us of this holy calling you've placed on all of us to remain pure in your eyes, to walk and live in the light and not in the darkness. So God, would you do a work in each of us today? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, if you need to come pray, please do. Don't be ashamed of that. Talk to the Lord.